You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. And it is uh, an ocean of despair in markets today. Just uh, a wash of red across my screen as I glance down to see what happened today. Well, what did happen? What a mess. Uh, it's uh, the DAX leading the charge down today in global markets, down 4.8%. Uh, not far behind. We had the CAC 40 in France down 4.1%. The FTSE 100, 3.4%. And in the US, uh, 3% for the NASDAQ down the S&P 500 also 3% and the Dow Jones Industrial 3% down. It puts our uh, negative 3.28% uh, into perspective. The biggest losers today, resources 4.5% down, financials 45 the property index 38 industrials 19 and uh, yeah, oil down 5%, silver down 5.9%, palladium, I could just go on and on. And a budget that uh, has certainly not convinced the market. Lots to get stuck into with Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at F&B Wealth and Investments, and Martin Smith, Portfolio Manager at Anchor Capital. Wayne, this is not your usual Shocktober stuff. When major indices fall 4% in one day, what's going on here? Look, I mean, we've discussed this ad nauseum for months and months and months now. The equity market was too high in relation to the underlying economy. And what the trigger has been this so-called second wave, although it's a resurgence of the first wave, then a second wave. But that's just, uh, that doesn't actually matter, quite frankly. And now the markets are coming back. But I stress to add, as I've been saying all along, there is limited downside yet. There is a clear support for the equity market by incredibly low interest rates, quantitative easing, and fiscal spending by governments worldwide. So it can fall 15%, at max it can maybe fall 20%, but that's it. I doubt in the extreme whether we're on the precipice of a serious bear market where we retest the lows we saw earlier on this year. It's a correction. I mean, think about what's happened in the world's economy and what's happened to the world. Why are global stock markets at record highs and some are actually up 25% for the year? So the big question then, Martin, is uh, how much further the markets have to go to correct uh, before you start buying this particular dip. If you buy into Wayne's thesis that there is no alternative, that uh, ultra-low interest rates and stimulus and ultra-accommodative uh, uh, monetary policy is going to support equities, uh, which is hard to argue against, uh, where do you – it's very difficult to call the bottom in these things uh, – but where do you see this going? Going from here, uh, I'm in complete agreement with um, with Mark and yourself uh, regarding uh, lack of alternatives. And I mean, if you look at the global bond markets, you can't really put your funds there as a as a kind of holding place. So I think while short term we might see some pain, or short to medium term, because a lot of things on the horizon, uh, obviously, what the U.S. elections and seeing how that's going to play out, and I think we'll touch on a little bit later in the show. But again, I think there will be some short-term pain and some short-term volatility as the, as the market in the world digests what's happening with the this, this second wave. Uh, potential vaccines from Pfizer, is, is, it, is it as close as we think it may be? So I think there's a lot of short-term noise to be had and a lot of volatility to be had. Um, I'm not going to be piling in just yet. I'm happy to sell a little bit more cash offshore. And I think you will get your opportunity, but uh, I think you will get your opportunity, but I I'm not uh, jumping in right now. And again, I agree with you guys in so far as I think there is still support for equity markets. I'm just not sure if now the time to get piling right back in because of 
things in the short term horizon. Mark McCurry, I think that could actually stick, Wayne. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, Wayne, Wayne, to bring you in here, uh, and if we look at uh, some of the big moves in our market uh, over the last couple of days, Sassel has been the one that's really yes. been the one that's uh, garnered the most interest. And I, I did watch with great interest a, a webinar hosted by Alec Hogg, uh, with the CEO Fleetwood Krobler and uh, Dave Shapiro, good friend of yours, uh, and uh, and Pitful Yun, who who really grilled Fleetwood. He he grilled previous decisions around capital allocation. Fleetwood seemed to say, "Well, you can't judge us on the past. This is what we're going to do yeah. into the future." It's been sold off ever since. What is that telling you about what uh, the market feels around the credibility of the management team around Sasol at the moment? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, Sassol as a company has, let me just work it out. Let's just call it roughly 200 billion rand wasted money. I mean, more or less, it's about 200 billion they've wasted on that US delivery. Oh. So you will lack credibility. Luckily, they didn't absolutely go to the wall. So there's one positive for Sassol. They seem to be off the precipice, off the edge of the precipice. They're not about to have a disastrous rights issue, although there is a rights issue coming. They seem to have survived. Of course, oil price falls to 25. They're not going to get away without a massive rights issue, but they do lack credibility. However, Sassel is still just a grand oil price story. You know, so with the rand stronger, I mean, despite all the negatives around the medium-term budget, I mean, two weeks ago, we'd have been ecstatic with the rand at 1635. You know, so the rand actually has strengthened quite a bit over the last while, and the oil price is coming under pressure. Therefore, Sassel's coming under pressure. But I believe that the oil price will probably sustain itself higher than $40 in the medium term. And under that scenario, I don't know whether you're going to buy Sassel at 80 or whether you should buy it at 70 or whether it's going to get there or whether you should buy it now at 90 But at some stage, Sassel's a buyer. It was surely, and Martin, on that point, the upside risk is actually uh, for a higher oil price because what we're seeing is because of ESG concerns and uh, the, the discussion around a just transition and decarbonizing energy systems, we're just not seeing new investments in any in, in uh, big new oil or, or, or gas um, uh, exploration. Apart from what we see here from, from Total, there are a few pockets, but certainly not what uh, we're used to in this particular market. So if the transition doesn't happen as quickly as uh, some would hope for or expect, then that should be supportive of the oil price over, over the medium term. And, and looking at Sassel now, it's a highly geared play to Wayne's point to that uh, particular scenario playing out. The, the question is, what sort of floor would you put on Sassel before you become an interested buyer again? David Shapiro said 70. I, any thoughts? I think the, the big question is, um, will they need to do a rights issue? And I think the market might be telling you that they, that they may need to do one at some stage. How big that may be, we don't know. It depends, obviously, on uh, the sale of assets uh, that will continue into the, into the coming months. I'm, I'm not getting too excited just yet. Like you said, I think the risk-reward is there, but I think you'll still see a little bit of volatility. I think you may be able to get a little bit lower. But, again, I wouldn't be adverse to having some now because, again, I think the risk reward spectrum is in your favor, but do I think it can go lower? I think there, 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 is, there is absolutely a chance of that. 
And then moving now to the U.S. election, which will also have a bearing on uh, the case for Sassel, because if we have a Biden victory, you, you're just going to see further regulatory pressure heaped on uh, the, the oil and gas industry as, as he tries to accelerate the transition to renewables, Wayne. So uh, they're, they're all of these subplots to the U.S. election, uh, just a week ago, everyone was calling it a blue wave. I've just noticed yeah. this week that uh, a few august publications are starting to backpedal a little bit to say, hang on, in some of those uh, swing states, some of those electoral college uh, states are, are, are really showing that it's uh, probably going to be a bit closer than everyone was thinking. Which way do you see it going? Uh, look, I don't know, to be honest. And putting personalities aside, quite frankly, I'm, I don't care, to be honest because it's not going to have a major effect on markets other than maybe a very short-term effect. You know, Trump is probably neutral to slightly positive for markets, and Biden is probably neutral to slightly negative. And understand, all of the talk that he's giving is electioneering talk. Eh? The U.S. is critically dependent on fracking to balance their books and to stay, you know, a net exporter of, of energy, you know, he's not going to shut down the industry tomorrow, that is for sure. Because it comes back to a point you made earlier on, which no one realizes. Even with alternative energy, even with the green movement, for the foreseeable future, the world will probably consume 100, 100 million barrels of oil a day, and that will probably grow as the economy grows. And U.S. fracking can only supply so much and no one has put a cent into true oil exploration in the big oil fields for the last five years. So in three, four, five years' time, there could be a serious crunch yeah. on oil price. I mean, a very serious crunch. But yeah, as I said, the election itself, as far as markets is concerned, is almost a non-event once it's over, once the uncertainty is over. Can we just get it over already, yes, yes, uh, yes, the yes, 3rd yes. of November? Let's just do it. Get on with it. And speaking of new finds, Total, very encouraging news this. Uh, I want to strip out the debate between renewables uh, and carbon-based fuels. And, in fact, gas is probably the, the best transition that we have at the moment. So, so there we go. Anyway, Total has made a significant new condensate discovery on the Laypad prospect. It was drilling that right next to Brillpudder which is uh, that big discovery last year that uh, caused great excitement. It's uh, caused a lot of investment as well, up to one and a half billion rand, uh, with uh, Total bringing its deep-sea Stavanger oil rig all the way from Norway to, to do this kind of drilling. Uh, and so, Wayne, uh, this is a, a bit of welcome good news for South African economy following this mini-budget that can take uh, whatever it gets right now. And, of course, I mean, we've got one of the largest gas reserves fracking in the Karoo as well. I mean, I don't think it's viable at the current oil price, but that's also there. Um, I mean, in South Africa, you know, there's a lot of bad news around and maybe we focus too much on bad news, but it's always good to get good news in South Africa. Now, on the mini budget, uh, Martin, do you think there's enough in this budget to ensure that we can avoid a financial crisis in South Africa? Earlier this year, the finance minister spoke about the risks being high on the upside that we do have a sovereign debt crisis. Again, in the uh, media conference in, in, the, in the press afterwards, he was saying, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. He was channeling um, uh, Desmond Tutu there to say that uh, his government uh, cabinet colleagues need to realize, and I think he was 
was, uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, he was subtweeting a, a certain minister who's locked in negotiations with Labour about the public wage bill. We are sailing awfully close to the edge of that fiscal cliff. What do you make of the mini-budget? I think the mini-budget didn't really have too many surprises, but that being said, I think it was uh, quite mixed and maybe not as positive as a lot of people would have liked, specifically around um, SEOs as well as, um, like you mentioned, uh, budget cuts, because uh, ultimately we are in a precarious position in South Africa. We can't exactly grow our way out of it. Um, If you look at some of the... The growth forecasts for next year, I think it's, you mentioned three, three and a half odd percent. But I mean, ultimately our debt is at about 95% of GDP at this moment in time. So I think we, we are, like I said, in a very precarious position. And I wasn't massively inspired by what was said to think that we are um, necessarily going to get out of it anytime soon. And I think it, it's just a wait and see at this moment in time to see how things unfold and um, yeah, just to see how, how the economy reacts post-COVID. So I think there's a lot of things up in the air, but yeah, let's, let's be completely honest and say that's precarious position. A lot of balls up in the air, and I think that's the bottom line here, Wayne. For the finance minister to once again stand up and say, we are considering freezing wages. There is no deal. There is still a discussion. It is still up in the air. The markets don't like that kind of uncertainty. You can promise, but every single time the promises have been slipped. The active scenario in June was to cap debt below 90. It's now at 95. What do you make of what was dished up today? Okay. Look, just to take one step back, it, it is quite clear we are on a road to hell in South Africa. If we carry on doing things the way we've done them for the last 10 years. There's no doubt whatsoever we will be a failed state in 10 years' time if we don't change direction. The good news is the state president and the finance minister and they say cabinet backs it and they've got full buy-in from their partners that everyone recognizes it and there is an action plan to step off the road to hell. And we've got time on our side. The biggest positive we've got as a country is we've got very little foreign debt. So we haven't got this massive foreign debt Mm. breathing over our shoulders. We've got RAND debt, but RAND is not dollars. So we have got this one true saving grace. Everything, the state president's recovery packages, the finance minister's budget, will depend on implementation. If they implement as they say they're going to, we will avoid a failed state and our finances will stabilize and we will turn the corner, but everything is implementation and the record's not good. Yeah, I want to channel Angus Young there and say perhaps we're on the highway to hell and and not the road. Uh, It it seems like uh, it's a rapid runaway train. Let's hope that we can implement uh, and uh, we have at the February budget, uh, the finance minister standing up and presenting a deal that has been clinched and not talking about potential maybe ifs and buts and not talking about throwing further money at failing state-owned enterprises like SAA, another uh, 17 billion rand at that. Let's talk about um, far less stressful and uh, blood pressure raising issues like Microsoft earnings. Microsoft uh, beat better than uh, projected 12% uh, revenue climb 
And uh, that after the market was already expecting good things from Microsoft because of Teams and the fact that this whole work from home um, revolution that was ushered in by COVID uh, is, is really benefiting a company like Microsoft in particular. Uh, what did you think of these results, Martin? Absolutely a, a robust set of numbers uh, from Microsoft, as we expected, because like you, you rightly mentioned, they are definitely geared towards a post-COVID world um, in terms of everything tech-based. And their cloud services business was, was the standout performer um, in, in these set of numbers. So pretty much uh, um, ahead of expectations, but overall a very, very good set of numbers. And Microsoft is one that, that we hold across our business and one that we continue to hold. Uh, shares down a little bit at the moment, obviously getting caught up in the, in the sell-off that we're seeing across the board, but still up uh, in the region of 30% for the year, but still one that I'm happy to hold and very happy with, uh, with the set of results that came out that were ahead of consensus. Yeah, if you look at Azure, it's cloud business. When you're growing revenue at 48% and you're the size of Microsoft growing a particular cloud division at rates like that, uh, you, you can only but uh, hold on and, uh, and ride through some of the volatility that we see in the markets at the moment. And uh, b big numbers now on uh, Teams. It's uh, reported that it's got 150 million daily active users, up from 75 million in April. We're all getting far more, far more comfortable with this uh, video conferencing technology. I was uh, listening in uh, remotely to the, the presser via Teams earlier while conducting a recorded interview all at the same time. The things you can do with technology, Wayne, are absolutely incredible. Uh, we've got Apple's earnings expected, Wayne, and it's, uh, it's uh, not for the first time uh, not provided any earnings guidance for the fourth, fourth quarter because of the ongoing coronavirus yeah. pandemic. Uh, what are we expecting from, from this look, earnings from Apple? Look, they're probably not going to disappoint, to be honest. I mean, Apple, Microsoft, as you spoke about, they, they are the two beneficiaries. The tech companies are the two beneficiaries of the, of the virus. So it shouldn't be disappointing. But of course, you know, if the market's falling, Apple will fall. And, you know, Microsoft will fall if the market's falling because, you know, the valuations are, 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 are high. Yeah, they are stretched indeed. Uh, they're, they're priced for perfection, in fact. Uh, uh, there's, there's going to be an interesting um, side story to the whole Apple earnings an announcement because of the Department of Justice coming down on uh, Google parent uh, Alphabet last week around uh, the search engine deal that they've got with Apple. I believe Apple is now busy working on its own uh, search engine uh, and uh, we'll probably see more news on that as well. Uh, the analysts expect Apple to ship uh, 40 million iPhone units in the September quarter. 40 million iPhone units and uh, they're not cheap. Anyone who's uh, ever owned an Apple will, will know that uh, a company that just simply Prince Cash. So anyone who tells you that this current tech market is a bubble like we saw in 1999, this is completely different. We're talking about companies yeah. now that uh, that uh, that are earnings positive and uh, and uh, are not just uh, startups and unicorns out of someone's garage. Uh, talk to me about Wilson Bailey Homes, and we know our construction sector is sector is beaten and battered down, Martin. Uh, it's going to report a loss of 892 cents per share for the full year and this is one that uh, i would have probably um, had in a portfolio to benefit from any infrastructure rebound in south africa but but still uh suffering it's got contracts in in australia as well uh, but not a great set of numbers this 
No, not, not at all. And I think they were they were caught in the in the eye of the COVID storm. Obviously, the project that they were doing uh, couldn't go ahead or had to go um, ahead under a lot of uh, uh, kind of uh, guidelines and things like that, which obviously caused caused delays in projects and things like that. And like you mentioned, that Australian business of theirs, they've got things in the UK and across Africa and Mozambique specifically, but it was that Australian business that was uh, very, that was had a significant loss-making position attached to it. So, again, I hear what you're saying about the recovery in infrastructure spend, but, but when will that come through is, is my question. Um, so I, I'm happy to kind of stay away from, from Wilson Bailey uh, at the moment, just given, again, concerns around COVID, the question around infrastructure spend and when that'll come through, and as well as execution risk around projects like, like the one that I mentioned and, or the, the two that I mentioned in Australia. Yeah. Wayne, your thoughts on, on battered and bruised and downtrodden construction stocks are still out of favour? Well, look, this is about the only one left there. There's, there's, there's yeah. actually nothing left. And they have got 7 billion rand, is it? 6, 7 billion rand cash on the balance sheet. So this is a very good company. But I would also sit back for a while. Look, you know, after 2010, building and construction, which up to 2010 was, they were the tech shares of their day. Remember, there was a, a listing every day in the aggregates or building industry, building sectors on the JSE, sort like. It will all eventually recover, at least. And Wilson Bailey is a survivor, and clearly the, the best run one in South Africa, because as I said, they're about the only one left. <laughs> but I'll also take care. I'll also wait a bit. Best of a bad bunch. Uh, but I couldn't agree with you more in, in terms of uh, the, the, the ones that have at least shown resilience to still be standing. And then uh, a great little story to end off with here. Martin, NASA has announced it's teaming up with Nokia's Bell Labs to install a 4G network on the moon. Because no one likes getting a call failed notification when you uh, <laughs> 239,000 miles from home. Uh, what's the backstory to this one? Well, the backstory is um, they plan to build a lunar infrastructure um, capable of supporting human life on the moon. Well, this is NASA that I'm talking about. And they plan by 2028 uh, to have astronauts living on the moon. So astronauts also need a phone home and they want to make that possible, it seems. Well, uh, bottom line, if you're an astronaut who just pre-ordered that new iPhone 12, don't worry. NASA say the Moon Network is eventually going to be upgraded to 5G, so you'll have coverage there as well. Uh, Martin Smith, Portfolio Manager at Anchor Capital, and Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at F&B Wealth and Investments, with your view from the market.